So, yes, yeah, as, as Kevin mentioned, I'm going to be talking about um, a favorite topic today. It was interesting. I was listening to Kofi two weeks ago speaking on spiritual gifts, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And he said, you know, a subject like that doesn't really need an introduction because it's a favorite subject. Everybody wants to know about the gifts of the Spirit. Well, I think I've got the favorite topic today, obedience. <laughs> I didn't hear many amens there. So, yeah. you see, I think to, today a problem that we have in society and in the church is that we have too many choices available to us. As John MacArthur puts it, we are called, I believe, to love the Lord Jesus Christ, to love him with a whole soul, whole heart, whole mind, and whole strength kind of love. And we would say we do. But I look at our society, I look at the church, and I don't see that same kind of devotion, that same kind of commitment, that same kind of abandonment to the priorities that are divine priorities. I see us diffused into a myriad of options, given equal weight or even greater weight to some of the passing things in favor of some of the eternal things. Interesting works there from Pastor John. I, I think because of the choices that we have today, we choose to not obey God at times because we believe that we will benefit ourselves here and now by the choices that we make instead of thinking of what the eternal consequences or rewards might be. And obedience to God is a subject that is throughout the Bible, from Genesis all the way through to Revelation. And we'll be looking at how important it is to obey God. And interestingly, even when we look at just our regular life here on earth today, just apart from the Bible for a minute, we see that if we do not obey the laws of life, there are consequences. For example, if I jump from an airplane without a parachute, I'm probably likely to die because I refuse to obey the law of gravity. And unfortunately, in many ways, the way society is going today, it's making it a lot easier to be disobedient to even the basic moral laws that we once had. Now, when it comes to the church and obeying God, Again, because of the choices we have, we can decide to go to church or not to go to church. Maybe there's a film that I want to see instead, instead of attending the weekly prayer meeting. Or perhaps I can't fellowship with my brothers and sisters on a weekend because I always play sports. There are many churches today that have abandoned the truth of God's word. They've abandoned obedience to God's word. And instead, they try to tell us that we can have whatever we want from God, no matter how we live our lives. They no longer preach that God is holy and that we too should be holy. Now, I'm saying these things not to condemn anybody here, but even this past week, I've come to realize that sometimes my priorities are not always towards God and eternity and obeying what he tells me. But instead, my priorities are sometimes focused on what I think is best for me. Here and now in my life. And this selfish heart causes me to be disobedient to what God desires for me at times. In fact, I would actually say, and I've said this to a few people, that this teaching has probably been one of the most convicting subjects I've ever taught on. But let's pray together.
Oh, Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, for this subject on obedience. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that you just let your Holy Spirit speak through me. Let me speak the truth. Let the words I speak be edifying, but also corrective where needed. Let it touch our hearts, Father. And I pray, Lord, that you will just, um, just speak to everybody as is needed today in their lives. And we know, Lord, that uh, ultimately we are to love you and obey you. But we pray, Lord, that through your word you will teach us this today. I ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. 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 So, as we've been looking at the foundations of faith over this summer, and I've now come to realize how important obedience is as a foundation of our faith. In fact... I would say obedience is the main principle of our salvation. And as I said earlier, it's throughout the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. So let us look first at the beginning in Genesis. Let's start there. I always like to go straight to the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth, and he created man in his image to have a relationship with him. And man got to enjoy being in the perfect presence of God and to enjoy all the plants and the trees, for they were pleasant to the sight and good for food. The Garden of Eden, true paradise. And in Genesis 2, chapter 16 to 17, we read that God gave man just one command to continue to stay in this perfect presence of God, the perfect paradise. It says, And the Lord commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, can you imagine living in this perfect paradise as man and woman, being in God's perfect presence, no suffering, no sin, no pain, no trials, and all you have to do is not eat the fruit from one tree. That's all. <laughs> Now, you might be thinking, why did God command this from man? Surely he could have just not told him, you know. And I think, though, it is because God wanted to know that man loved him by obeying this one command. Because God, in his infinite love and knowledge, knew that the consequences of disobedience would be death and separation from God's love. And as we all know how the story goes, Adam and Eve did not keep this one commandment. And because of their disobedience, they were no longer to eat of the tree of life or be in the presence of God. Now, if we jump all the way to the end of the Bible, to Revelation chapter 22, verse 14, it reads there, Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter the gates into the city. So we see here that those who obey the Lord are once again able to eat from the tree of life. But this is only made possible due to the story in the middle of the Bible. And this is because of what Jesus did for us. And we see in Romans 5.19, For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. And we also see in Hebrews 5, chapter 5, verse 8 to 9, Though he was a son, 
yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. So we see again that through Jesus' obedience, we too are able to achieve salvation and once again eat from the tree of life that was taken away. So in essence, from what I've said so far, I hope you can see, though, that disobedience is sin. Adam was disobedient and sinned because of what he did. And because of what he did, we too are now sinners. And I'll talk a bit about that a bit later as well. But throughout the Bible, there are many instances of God desiring obedience. And we see so much of this in the New Testament and the Old Testament. And we'll be looking at a few of these. And also at the obedience that God desires from us and the blessings from obedience. We also see instances of disobedience and its consequences. But let us look first at Noah. If you would, turn with me to Genesis chapter 6. So, in Genesis chapter 6, we know that we, when we're reading here, we read that, you know, because of the disobedience and wickedness of man, that God no longer wanted to strive with man anymore. And he wanted to basically wipe them out. This was the consequence of disobedience of man. But yet, we also see that he found grace in one man's eyes. Uh, sorry, it, we, we, he found grace in the Lord's eyes, sorry, that being Noah. Mixing my words up there. And why did God decide to save Noah and his family? Because of his obedience. In verse 22 of chapter 6, we read, it says, Thus Noah did, according to all that God commanded him, so he did. See his obedience? If we continue to read down into chapter 7 in verse 5, it says, And Noah did according to all that the Lord had commanded him. And in verse 9, it goes on to say, Two by two they went into the ark to Noah, male and female, so God had commanded, as God had commanded Noah. Again, you see the obedience of Noah. We see it again in verse 16. So that those who entered, male and female, of all flesh, went in as God commanded him. And the Lord shut, it in, shut him in. Again, we see this obedience from Noah. And because of this obedience, what was the result for Noah? Protection, security, safety. That was his blessings. Now, let's look at Abraham. In Hebrews 11.8, it says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. You see... It was by faith that Abraham was obedient. He had no way of knowing that by leaving his home and trusting in God that all would go well. And yet he was obedient. Again in Genesis 22 verse 15 to 18, we see the blessing that Abraham would receive because of his obedience in regards to Isaac and what God had asked of him. It says, then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, 
says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So here we see the blessings that Abraham would receive because of his obedience. And we also, because of his obedience, we get to share in those blessings. It says, you know, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And how are we blessed? Because through Abraham and the nation came Jesus. That's the blessing that we received. Let's move on a bit forward and look at Moses. And in Exodus 19 verse 5, we see the promise of blessing given by the Lord through Moses to the Israelites. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. For all the earth is mine. This is another example of blessings through obedience. In Deuteronomy, the term obey or obedience is used the most times of a book in the Bible. But it's all summed up in Deuteronomy 11, verse 26 to 28, and it says, Behold, I set before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today. And the curse, if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way which I command you today to go after other gods which you have not known. That sums it up, I think, in the law there. Moving on then, I want to look at the, um, the times of the kings of Israel. And I want us to turn together to 1 Samuel. So if you're in Genesis, just keep going. Just after Ruth. And 1 Samuel, and we're going to be um, going to chapter 10 to start with. We will be looking at quite a few verses here in this. But I think um, it's, it's the reason I'm choosing this, it's really important to look at um, Saul, who was the first king of Israel, and how his life unfolded. And um, was he obedient as he was asked to be? We shall see. So in chapter 10, verse 8, we see Samuel tell Saul... You shall go down before me to Gilgal, and surely I will come to you to offer burnt offerings. Seven days you shall wait till I come to you and show you what to do. So Saul was commanded there to wait for seven days for, for Samuel to be come down and show Saul what to do with the sacrifices. So I want to skip ahead now a bit to chapter 13 this is where the story continues and we're going to read from verse 8 of chapter 13 all the way down to 14 so it says here we see Saul and it says then he waited seven days according to the time set by Samuel but Samuel did not come to Gilgal and the people were scattered from him so Saul said bring a burnt offering and peace offerings here to me and he offered the burnt offering 
Now it happened, as soon as he had finished presenting the burnt offering, that Samuel came, and Saul went out to meet him, that he might greet him. And Samuel said, What have you done? Saul said, Well, when I saw the people were scattered from me, and that you did not come within the days appointed, and that the Philistines gathered together at Mishmash, Mishmash, <laughs> then I said, The Philistines will now come down on me at Gilgal, and I have not made supplication to the Lord. Therefore I felt compelled and offered a burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord, your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Sad story. And we can see from this account that because of Saul's impatience, because he didn't want to wait, and disobedience, he would be removed as king of Israel. And instead, God would choose David, a man after God's own heart. I want to go a bit further, though, in 1 Samuel chapter 15. Just jump ahead to chapter 15. Because we're actually going to see here that God actually gives Saul another chance. Yeah, to redeem himself. And in verse 3, God commands Saul through Samuel and says to him, Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have. And do not spare them, but kill both man and women, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. This is the command from God. Does Saul obey this time? Well, let's find out. Read on, um, jump to verse 7, and we see what happens. And we read down to verse 9, and it says, And Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He also took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive, and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. So far, so good. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. Hmm. So, again, we see that Saul does not obey God. And then God says to Samuel in verse 11 of chapter 15, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king. For he has turned back from following me, and he has not performed my commandments. Can you see from this verse that disobeying God is the same as not following him? But let's jump down to verse 13, and we're going to read down to verse 21. And it says, Then Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. So Saul actually thought he was obeying God. But Samuel said, What then is the bleating of sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen. 
to sacrifice to the Lord your God. Interestingly, do you notice what he said? The Lord your God, not the Lord my God. It shows where Saul's heart was, doesn't it? And the rest we have utterly destroyed. Uh, verse 16, then Samuel said to Saul, be quiet. And I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to him, speak on. So Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag, king of Amalek. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites, but the people took of the plunder sheep and oxen, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. Even here at this point, Samuel's telling him, you've disobeyed God, you were supposed to utterly destroy everything. And yet Saul says, but I have obeyed God. <laughs> Interesting. He tries to justify his actions. He, he believes that he's done the right thing. But in verse 22 and 23 of chapter 15, and I think these are the most important verses here to concentrate on. This shows the true heart of God and what obedience to him really means. So Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of the rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is an iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. And I think the main message we need to get out of this is just it shows how important obedience to God is. Even over sacrifices, even over offerings. We see this disobedience continue right throughout Israel's history even up to the time of Jesus, when the Pharisees and the religious leaders, they thought they were being righteous before God because of the sacrifices they made, because of the offerings they gave, yet their hearts and their whole being were disobedient to the Lord. And I think that this is a warning to us as well as a church, as believers, as we too may think that our sacrifices and our offerings are enough for God but ultimately, what he wants from us is to show that we truly love him by our obedience. Yes. Just one other Old Testament book I'd like to mention regarding obedience, and it's the book of Je Jeremiah. Jeremiah is actually the second most used book in the Bible of obedience or the term obey. Unfortunately, though, it's mostly about the opposite it's about disobedience and Israel not obeying the Lord. And it's summed up in Jeremiah 7, verse 22 to 24. It says, For I did not speak to your fathers or command them in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt, 
concerning burnt offerings or sacrifices. But this is what I commanded them, saying, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people, and walk in all the ways that I have commanded you, that it may, be, it may be well with you. Yet they did not obey or incline their ear, but followed the counsels and the dictates of their evil hearts and went backward and not forward. <coughs> so there are other instances about obedience in the uh, Old Testament. You just have to look at the Psalms. One of Rob's favorites, Psalm 119, just talks about obedience to God's word and his commandments constantly. But you may be thinking to yourself, okay, that's the Old Testament under the law and Israel. But what about the New Testament and grace? Surely it's different. So let's see what the New Testament has to say about obedience. And let's start, first of all, with Jesus. Now, Jesus came to fulfill the law. And we've already read that God desires obedience rather than sacrifice and offerings. And this is confirmed in Hebrews. Chapter 10, verse 8 to 9 says, Previously saying, Sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin, you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. You see, it was Jesus he was talking about here. And Jesus was being obedient to do God's will instead of sacrifices and offerings. In John chapter 5, verse 30, we read, I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous. Because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. This is the words of Jesus. You see, Jesus was obedient to his Father rather than doing his own will. And in John chapter 10, verse 17 to 18, we again see this connection between love and obedience. It says, Therefore, my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. Jesus also spoke of obedience on the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But who? But he who does the will of my Father in heaven those who are obedient now let's just turn to uh, John chapter 14 together we're in the New Testament now out of the Old Testament and I want to look at a few verses here Kevin actually covered some of them already <laughs> but uh, starting in verse 15 of John chapter 14 and it says if you love me Keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the will cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. 
but you know him, for he dwells with you, and I will be in you, and I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. So we see the promise of blessing to those who obey the commandments of Jesus. And what is that blessing? To have the Holy Spirit dwell within us. A bit further down from verse 21 to 24, we read the following. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. Verse 22, Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the words which you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. And one more verse in uh, chapter 15, just a bit further on. Just look in there, chapter 15 and verse 10. And then Jesus says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Now, we can clearly see from Jesus here that to love the Lord is to obey his commandments. Now, staying with John, but I'm going to move forward to his letters, and I've got the verse for you for this one. We don't have to go there. Let's see what he writes about obedience in 1 John. In 1 John 5, verse 3, he says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. We can see that John tells us what it means to love God. It is to obey his commandments. But they are not burdensome. They are good for us. You know, sometimes when you think of the whole concept of obey commandments, oh, well, we've got to obey a lot of laws. That's John saying totally the opposite. He says they're not burdensome. They're good for us. They are a blessing to us. A few chapters back in 1 John 2 verse 4, we're told what we are if we do not keep his commandments. And he says, he who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Now, these are strong words from John. But if we do not keep his commandments, then we don't really know God. And we are a liar. That's what he's saying. <laughs> James, in his letter, gives a similar message. In James 1 verse 22, he writes, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And in James chapter 2, verse 21 to 22, he gives the example of this living faith. The faith that leads to works of love and obedience. And he writes, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac, his son, on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works, faith was made perfect. Let's have a look at what um, Peter says about obedience. And in P 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14 to 16, he writes, As obedient children... Not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. 
You see, obedience is the main principle of the Christian life. Now, Paul talks a lot of obedience in his letters and his writings, but especially in the book of Romans. And in Romans 1 verse 5, he says, Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all the nations for his name. You see, why did Paul receive grace and apostleship? For obedience. He says a similar thing at the end of Romans. In Romans 16 verse 26, he says, But now made manifest and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith. Now, at the beginning of the teaching, I mentioned Romans 5 verse 19, which says, I'll bring it up again for you, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. And I was reading this book by Andrew Murray. I don't know if you know him, but he's got this book called The School of Obedience. It's a great book. <laughs> it's it's uh, very convicting. <laughs> but he, he says in his book, Christ came as the second Adam to undo what Adam had done through his disobedience. And Jesus did this through his obedience to show us. And there are three ways that Christ did this. Number one, as an example to show what true obedience was. Number two, as our guarantee by his obedience to fulfill all righteousness for us. And number three, as our leader to prepare a new and obedient nature to impart to us. Andrew actually goes on to explain that because of the disobedience of Adam, there is this twofold connection between us and Adam. Firstly, the judicial or legal aspect of things. We are linked to Adam and we are sinners because of what Adam did. And also because of the vital aspect. And that is being the way we live our lives, our conduct. That's how we're linked to Adam as well, our evil hearts. And because of this connection, we are sinners just like Adam. There's no way out of it. But because of what Jesus did, judicially or legally, we are made righteous by his obedience. And vitally, we are united to Christ in his death and resurrection to be made holy and to be able to be obedient to God once again. Obedience is the very essence of that righteousness. Obedience is salvation. Now, I want to look an instant of failure of love in the New Testament. And I want us to turn to John chapter 21. You should all be in John anyway, so just a few chapters on. And we're going to read in John chapter 21, but just before we look at this event and, and the story here, I just want to give you some background and in Matthew 28, verse 16, Jesus had actually commanded Peter and those who were with him after his resurrection to go to the mountain and wait for him. Okay, that's the story. Now, as we come here to John 21, we see that Peter and the others who were with him, they didn't do that. And they decided to go back to their old lives of fishing. Yeah? 
So let's read from verse 1 down to verse 3 to start with. And it says, After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way, he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter says to them, I'm going fishing. Yeah. So Peter, he denied Jesus, as we know. And he's probably still feeling pretty cut up about this. You know, he'd seen Jesus, but he was still, you know, and maybe he was feeling unworthy. Maybe he was thinking, I'm not able to serve the Lord. So you know what? And instead of obeying and waiting for God on the mountain and doing what I was told, I think I'll just go back and catch some fish. Because I know how to catch fish. I'm good at catching fish. But then, as we're going to read on, on this occasion, he doesn't catch anything. So uh, let's have a look and read on. We're going to read all the way from verse 4 all the way down to 14 together just to get the story. So in verse 4, um, it says, But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Just, um, obviously, I missed out the bit in verse 3, sorry, where it says they went out immediately, gone to the boat, and that night they caught nothing. So moving on, I missed that bit, sorry. Then Jesus said to them in verse, uh, verse 5, Children, have you any food? And they answered him and said, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore, the disciple whom Jesus loved, that being John, said to Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it as he was fishing, probably sweating, working hard, catching nothing. Yeah, And he put on his outer garment, and he plunged into the sea. And the other disciples came in the boat, for they were not far from the land, but about 200 cubits, dragging the net with the fish, probably thinking to themselves, oh, there goes Peter, we've got to bring the fish in now. I mean, but then as soon as they'd come to the land, they saw a fire of coals there, and the fish were laid on it, and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have just caught. And Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to the land, full of large fish, 153. Quite pacific in the number there. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples did ask him, who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them and likewise the fish. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So there's the story now. We have this context of, you know, they know it's Jesus. They're sitting there having breakfast with him. But until I just we're going to move on in a few verses, but I just want to mention one other point that I read from John MacArthur in regards to disobedience, you know, because we've we've read about disobedience here and we've looked at those areas in throughout the Bible. But he says this and I quote, this is his words. OK, now I want to I want to suggest to you a very obvious point. Love fails when it disobeys. I don't care how much sentiment you feel. I don't care how much emotion you feel about Jesus. I don't care how many tears you might shed 
or how certain songs make you feel misty and weepy. I don't care about sentiment. That is not the issue. Your love fails when you disobey, plain and simple, because that is always the test. Convicting words. I said at the beginning this was one of the most convicting teachings I've ever done, and you know, it just really spoke to my heart about that. But there's good news, and we're going to continue the story, and we're going to see how great the love of Jesus is. Okay? So we see Peter disobeying the Lord. But here we see the love and forgiveness of our Lord Jesus. Not only did he not judge them or condemn them, but he told them where to fish. He provided them with abundance of fish. And then he invites them to have breakfast with him. And you know, that is what Jesus does when we fail. He invites us to come and dine with him. He seeks to restore us. And he wants us to seek forgiveness. But let's read on now a bit further in this story and see the restoration of Peter. Now, verse 15 says, So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said to them, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to them, Feed my lambs. Now, Jesus asked Peter, do you love me more than all these other disciples here? And interestingly, Jesus uses the word agapeo for love, which comes from the root word agape, that perfect godly love. So Jesus is basically saying to Peter, do you love me with the perfect love? And Peter replies, yes, you know that I love you. But Peter uses the word filio, for love so which is just affection so basically peter replies yes lord you know that i like you <laughs> and in verse 16 we see jesus ask peter again he said to him again a second time simon son of jonah do you love me he said to him yes lord you know that i love you he said to him tend my sheep so again a second time jesus asked peter do you love me with that perfect love and again, Peter replies, you know, Lord, that I like you. And in verse 17, Jesus asks him again. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now, on this third occasion, Jesus uses the word filio for love for he knows that peter is not at that place probably yet to be at that level of perfect agape love where he should be so he says do you like me <laughs> jesus asks him and peter basically at this point you look at it and you think well he's a bit grieved isn't he, he says he's grieved why is he asking me again and I wonder if at this moment in time, it comes to Peter's mind, oh, wait a minute, I denied Jesus three times. <laughs> you see the, the link there? And, but we see that Peter, again, says, yes, I love you, Lord. But Peter here, who had failed his Lord with disobedience, who denied him three times, but yet Jesus forgives him. He dined with him, and he chose him as his apostle. 
who later in the books of Act, book of Acts, filled with the Holy Spirit, gives one of the greatest sermons ever spoken. And you see, I think this is a lesson for us. So sometimes we might look at these mighty men, you know, look at Peter, look at Paul, the great apostle, look at Pastor Kevin, look at Pastor John, look at these great men of God, you know, and, and we think, wow, they just have a special anointing on them. They just obey God because they're special, you know. But you know what? They're just like us. And they're not on another level spiritually. But even great pastors are fallible. Even great men of God are fallible. And all men fail at times. All of us do. And just like Paul spoke about in Romans 7. Do you remember the battle within? And this is because of that continued battle we have with the flesh. But we know that God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And if we confess them and we are obedient to his commandments because we love him. We are able then to walk in the spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Finally, though, I just want to give you three blessings that we are promised if we obey God's commandments. And there are many more, but these I think are quite important. Number one, we will abide in his love. John 15 verse 10. Number two, we will be his friends. John 15 verse 14. And number three, he will we will receive what we ask of him according to his will. That's in 1 John. I hope after today's teaching that we will all want to come to that place of obedience with God, knowing that we love him through obedience. And if there are areas in our life where we may have been disobedient, that we will come to him in repentance, knowing that he will forgive us and will dine with us and have fellowship with us again. Because that is what he desires above all things. And one day we will be able to eat the tree of life again in his presence. You know, it's interesting. We're going to end on a song, one of my favorite songs. And um, over two years ago when I, f I did my first teaching in Cornwall Street and I talked about trust in the Lord. And we did this song, Trust and Obey. So I, d I started off by teaching on trust in the Lord. And here I am today about obeying the Lord. So... I will leave you with this scripture. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Let's pray together. Amen. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this word today. And I know some of this word has been challenging to us and convicting. But I know, Holy Spirit, that's what you do. You convict us to bring us to your truth to bring us to obedience. And we know, Father, that you desire obedience above any sacrifice, above any offering. So I pray, Lord, that as from this message, that we will just take away that one thing, that to love you is to obey you, Father. And we obey you because you know what is best for us. We obey you because you love us. And I pray, Father, that we would just seek you this week. Just search our hearts, Lord. And that we can just dine with you again, Lord Jesus. You want to have relationship with us. 
You know, we desire that day where we will be like in the Garden of Eden, in your presence, eating the tree of life, forever being with you. And we thank you for that in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen.